The following is part of WFMP's public affairs educational programming. The views expressed are those of the speakers and not the station. If you would like to share your views, you may email us at wfmp.louisville at gmail.com. Welcome to Election Connection, and I don't know if you can hear the background noise, but uh, we're outside recording this program in the middle of the rain, but we do have some shelter. And I'm here with Victoria Strange. We are going to talk all post office today, today being a very special day, Saturday, August the 22nd, the day that Nancy Pelosi has called the House of Representatives back into session in order to vote on a special bill that would help fund the post office because of all the defunding that's been going on. And today also has been a day of protest all over the country in front of post offices to exclaim to whoever will listen that we have got to support our national postal service. First up, we're going to hear from demonstrators who showed up Saturday, August the 22nd, armed with signs in front of the Gardner Lane Main Post Office here in Louisville to join in with at least 800 other community demonstrations going on all across 50 states, according to the Washington Post. Those horns that you will hear are passers-by, many of them postal workers, honking their support. And this is at a time when the Postal Service has warned 46 states that their voters could be disenfranchised by delayed mail-in ballots. So let's listen in as I pass the mic down the line of protesters. Did you want to say something? Sure. My name's Jamie McGloin King. I live here in Louisville, Kentucky, and I'm here today to make it clear to our senators and our representatives and the management of the post office and the rank and file of the post office that, you know, it's unacceptable that anyone is going to slow down the delivery of prescriptions or ballots, and we're not going to stand for it, and we're going to continue to be vigilant. Thank you for your support. Do you think that this is going to undermine our democracy by slowing down the post office? Yes, absolutely. In a year where voting by mail will never be more important, um, absolutely it is a threat to our democracy. Um, however, it's not merely just a general threat to democracy, to veterans, to rural folk, to people who rely on the post office for prescriptions, for agriculture. It is also a specific threat. We're getting reporting out of Montana that mailboxes are being removed in precincts that voted more Democratic. This is uh, really, really uh, troubling and disturbing uh, information. And the post office has pretty much said explicitly that they're not going to undo any of it. So it's really going to take a full court press from the citizens to get them to put it back in time. In addition, 
those of us who can vote early in person, those of us who can take our absentee ballot to a, a county deposit box, thank you for your support. We're really going to have to do it. We're going to have to be vigilant on all fronts. And let me ask you one more thing. Does this, in your opinion, define treason? Actually dismantling the democratic process in our country? Uh, that is a great question. Uh, I'm going to try to be really humble and say that uh, I don't know if it's the crime of treason, but just like I don't think there are, you know, military solutions for a lot of our problems, I don't think there's as many legal solutions for our problems as there are political solutions. Um, people have to be out in the street, whether it's to preserve voting rights or for the liberation of black and indigenous and people of color. People have to be out in the streets and we have to stay out in the streets until we have, uh, you know, a functioning democracy. Yeah, and uh, do you think we have a functioning democracy right now? Well, so many people are being denied the right to vote, either because voting is too inconvenient, like, you know, closing the polls at 6 p.m. in Kentucky is one form of voter suppression. Failure to enforce laws that mandate that people be allowed to vote on Election Day is a form of voter suppression denying uh, voting rights to certain people based on, you know, a past criminal conviction, which Kentucky still does, is a form of voter suppression, making it unclear who is subject to restored voting rights under uh, Governor Bashir's executive order is a form of voter suppression. So we are nowhere near full democracy yet, but, you know, we got to bend that arc towards justice. Thank you. Appreciate it. My name's Kathy Mikas. I'm from Louisville, Kentucky. I'm here today because I think that the steps being taken by DeJoy to slow down the mail and interfere with our right to vote are outrageous, and I want it to stop. I want him to restore the sorting machines that he's removed, and I want him to treat the election mail like first-class mail. I'm Kirk Gillenwaters. Uh, I'm out here today supporting retard Americans here in the state of Kentucky. And part of our uh, issue is, is the fact that so many of our retirees here in Kentucky that we rely on the U.S. Postal Service to be able to deliver our prescription drugs. This is, this is a necessity that we have in the quality of our lives. So we cannot deter this delivery. We have to fund the post office and it would be great to, to remove DeJoy. Rural Americans here in the state of Kentucky, what we will rely on, the only means of delivery that they have in some of these areas are the U.S. Postal Service. And that's why it's imperative that we totally fund the post office because, once again, it's the service that this provides for every citizen here in the Commonwealth. Do you have any comments on the stated goal of Trump and other Republicans to eventually privatize the post office. The Republican Party for years, if we look to see what they have done to try to privatize public services across this country, you know, even though our services don't have to be profitable, the private sector knows in the event that they were to take control, they can make those services profitable. And that's the reason why that we're all at such risk 
for takeover for privatization. Thank you. I might add that by privatizing a public service like the U.S. Post Office, which, by the way, was established in Article 1, Section 8 of our U.S. Constitution in order to empower Congress to provide a postal service with authority to deliver and regulate the U.S. mail. So to privatize this constitutionally mandated federal agency, aside from perhaps being unconstitutional, would then be funneling taxpayer dollars directly into corporate coffers with little or no oversight of the way our taxpayer dollars were being spent. This is a recipe for corruption and waste. Thank you. I'm Tamara Sanford. I'm from Henry County. I'm an Algebra 1 teacher at Carroll County High School currently. And the post office is very important because my grandfather was a sorter for the post office many years ago, and he retired from there. And I think it's a crime. In fact, I know it's a crime what DeJoy is doing currently to the post office. Thank you. Would you like to make a comment? My name is Barry Glick. And I'm here today to support the post office, which is another one of the bedrock institutions of our democracy that is attempting to be destroyed. So we need to support it and we need to, to keep it. Would you like to make a comment? My name is John Jeffries. I live in Louisville, Kentucky, Jefferson County. And I think that what the administration and Louis DeJoy are doing are shameful to our post office workers and unions. I think the changes that they made are designed to cast the post office as a scapegoat in this coming election. You want more people to vote, not less. And I think they need to put back the mailboxes, put back the sorting machines, and respect the postal workers, 640,000 worth, 40% of which are women, 16% are veterans. So keep faith in the post office. They can do the job that we need for absentee balloting and voting. If you just leave them alone, let them do their job and restore the changes. And Mitch McConnell and Rand Paul need to vote to fund the post office, not defund it and not privatize it. Anyone else? All right, so I, all I have to say is, uh, is there anything great about this country now or ever before? It is our democracy. Keep it safe. Keep it strong. My name is Steve Roselle. I'm here to support the post office and elections and democracy and to do my part and because my wife told me I had to this morning. Hi, I'm his wife. My name is Mary Bolden. I'm here because we can't let Trump cheat by interfering with voting by mail. Those were some demonstrators standing in front of the Gardner Lane Post Office here in Louisville holding signs on Saturday, August the 22nd and speaking their mind about the defunding of our U.S. Postal Service in the lead-up to the general election during a global pandemic when many voters only feel safe voting by mail. Well, we have a special guest on our show, and her name is Anna Johnson. You're a retired post office worker because I was unable to get anybody from the Postal Service who's a current employee to talk to the media because I was told that they have received notification from on high 
that if they talk to any media, they will be fired on the spot. So Anna, I really appreciate you coming on my show. Welcome. First of all, when did you work for the post office and what was your job? I worked from August of 1985 till December 30th of 2017, and I was a rural letter carrier. And in a 10-year span through there, I also was an acting supervisor. So during that period of time, how would you describe your overall impression of the post office? Or was there a change that occurred over time? There was a change that occurred, I want to say, in the early 2000s or maybe the late 90s, where they seemed to start just picking at everything. You know, everything they were micromanaging is what we always called it. <laughs> at one point, we had to count how many rubber bands we were using, you know, at that kind of thing. Reuse them, they said, reuse them. I would use them till they'd pop on my hand. But I think that, to be fair, I realized they were trying to make cuts to stay in business, I, I presumed, but the last, I guess, 10 years, instead of my pay increasing, it decreased. Of course, I was a rural carrier. They had a mail count every year or every three years, and whatever my mail counted out to be, you know, everything was had a certain time value. That's what I got paid for the rest of the year or until the next mail count. So if they decided to stop parcels, or slow down bulk rate catalogs and stuff, then I didn't get paid for that for the rest of the year. The mail could be held back. One year they found some riding around in the back of tractor and trailers. I think it's been mismanaged for so long that it's really gonna take something to pull them out. Uh -huh. But as far as I know, they're still operating in the green, except for the that act of Congress that said they had to pay 75 years of retirement and health benefits ahead of time. People that aren't even born yet. You know. Yes, that 2006 under the George W. Bush administration that passed a bill that they had to fund employee yes. pensions for 75 years into the yes. future and no yes. other federal agency has that. They were trying to privatize it or make it go down to where it had to be rescued. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But even after that, you know, they made the payments and the post office is not a for-profit organization. They paid employees out of the money they made selling stamps and postage. Mm -hmm. And we didn't have funds from any other government agency. And a lot of people don't understand that. Right. Do you have any thoughts at all on the concept of privatizing the post office? I think it would be a mistake. I think they're sort of under some kind of government regulations that I think would be gone if they privatized it. And there are so many people that work for the post office. They hire so many veterans. And I mean, I have people working with me that were deaf, some that were almost blind. I would hate to see that disappear. And, and what do you think about this new postmaster general who is a, a Republican fundraiser and also has major investments in businesses that are competitors of the U.S. Post Office. I think it's just unbelievable is what I think. And, and he's a mega donor for Trump. He was appointed by Trump. I think it's seriously conflict of interest. You know, they used to tell us if you get a part-time job, it can't be with a competitor. 
you know, if you want to get a part-time job at Christmas, you can't go to FedEx or UPS because they're competitors. Well, everything is so totally backwards with Trump. You know, it doesn't matter what the rules of engagement are. It's whatever he decides at whatever moment. And I think that the fact that he doesn't want to help the post office, and Mm -hmm. if that's the case, then... Congress shouldn't have a say over over what they do. Yeah, and I think it is a, a universal rule in all federal agencies that no employee can have a conflict of interest. So I don't understand right. either. You know, everything that was normal is gone. And, you know, and I don't want to mm-hmm. sound like I'm a non-Trumper, which I am, but I, I think that the fact that he can bail out a, you know, a, a company or a church, you know, or a or an airline, but then he wants to leave the post office to struggle and, you know, come what may. I I think that's disgraceful. I really do. And what are your thoughts about this uh, notice that all the postal workers got that they would be fired? They spoke to the media. I almost feel like that breaks the law, you know? I mean, I almost feel like there should be a law against that. You know, why can't they say something? But by the same token, I also know that whoever they fired fired would most certainly get their job back because of the unions. They have such great unions uh-huh. to take care of the carriers and the mail handlers. And I was just at the Gardner Lane post office on Saturday covering the demonstration. I interviewed some of the demonstrators and the post office fellow that I was able to talk to anonymously. (laughs) He said that they already had removed four machines from the Gardner Lane post office. What is that going to do or what has that already done, do you think, to the delivery of mail? Well, you know, this has happened before, but obviously they're not going to need as many machines as the volume goes down, you know, for the first class letter mail, which are, are what runs through most of the machines. I mean, I understand taking some machines out. And I also understand picking up some of the box collection boxes because they do test them periodically and because they have to pay somebody to pick that mail up. But by the same token, to remove sorting machines and to remove collection boxes, especially in a year that contains a census, a U.S. census and an election, I think that was bad planning at the least. I don't know what the reason was. I just heard DeJoy on CNN say that he didn't do any of that. And that may be true. But initially, the buck stops there. And he can do or decide or stop whatever he wants. Uh huh. No more overtime. And that's at a time when we're in a pandemic. And various employees are having to take time off, whether because they get sick or because they have to quarantine themselves, and yet no overtime. So you were telling me that your mail was delayed, and I know a friend of mine, mail, she has a business, and she says even sending mail to people in Louisville, and she lives in Louisville, she says she has a six-day delay now that she's experiencing. I had a letter that just got here today that was mailed six days ago from Cincinnati. Oh, my. It's just up the road, yes. But I, I will tell you, when I worked 
at the post office that, of course, you know, we have an election coming up and they're going to get inundated with election mail. And whether it's bulk rate or what, the carriers have to treat it as first class. Whenever they get it, it has to go out that day. And another encouragement to all my listeners to apply for an absentee ballot right now, this very minute. You can do it by going to GoVoteKY.com. Is there anything else you'd like to say about uh, your time with the post office or what you see that's happening now with the post office? Well, I still have friends that work there. I feel very grateful for all the carriers that are out there working now, and I hope they all stay safe. Thank you, Anna. I really appreciate your being on my show. Okay, goodbye, everybody. And good luck to you, everybody out there. Stay safe. I have also here with me Karen Toole. You are a retired postal worker, is that correct? Yes, retired rural letter carrier. I started where I grew up, Linden uh, Post Office, and um, it was at the St. Matthews branch. And then my first regular route was in Anchorage. And during what years were you a postal worker? Um, I started in 1976 as a sub. I was a sub five years, and then I got my regular route, my first route in 1981. And then I retired in January of 2009. So give me some of your impressions of then and what you are hearing about now. You know, my father was also a letter carrier. He had a 36 year career from 1940 to 1976. So, um, you know, I kind of had his experience. He was a city carrier, uh, although I was rural. It was always well-respected. I mean, there was a lot of integrity in the job. And you take an oath when you, you're actually sworn in to protect on the security of the mail and uh, confidentiality also as far as uh, what you see or what you're delivering, you know, to individuals. Um, so it was always a highly respected and it was a sought after job. I started as a teenager and I took a civil service test. You know, you don't just get the job by knowing someone. So there was a lot of integrity around the job and carriers are, are proud of the work they do. But I get the impression that that was not the case with Postmaster DeJoy. He didn't really have any experience or any background in the post office. He wasn't even in the pool of candidates that they were considering, the general pool or the final pool. He was plucked from elsewhere and inserted in after the fact and no background check. What do you think of all of that? Well, it sounds kind of uh, typical of uh, President Trump in that, you know, he doesn't seem to have rules. If there are rules to go by, he doesn't care. He's going to do what he wants to do. And I'm sure that there was a procedure in place. The Postal Board of Governors meets, you know, they determine postal rates. I'm not surprised because I believe that our uh, president tends to just do whatever the heck he wants to do. Um, and, and I know that DeJoy was a mega donor. So I think there are conflicts with this man and he wasn't 
thoroughly vetted. He wasn't thoroughly checked out. So, and I believe that he has perverted the integrity and brought doubt on the sanctity of the mail, um, the timely delivery. And I believe it's purposely being done because we're going to have a lot of states will have mail-in ballots for voting in this election. So I believe it has no place in this time frame. You know, if he wants to make changes, Postal Service is not a business. It's never, it was never created to be a business. It was created as a service. The employees are, are civil servants and they serve the public. It is uh, just like water and sewage. It's an essential service and it has to be done with the public interest at heart, not with profit at heart. Yeah, and I was curious, I don't know if you're knowledgeable about this or not, but I, I was watching some of the testimony today and mm -hmm. DeJoy put great emphasis on getting the mail trucks to run on time. He said that was very important. And I had heard that that was actually slowing down the mail because the trucks traditionally would wait until the mail was delivered. And somebody was saying, and I, this could just be hearsay, that it's now to the point where trucks have to leave even if they're empty because they have to leave on time. <laughs> Is there any um, validity in that or have you heard anything about that? Um, I have not. I do know that in the past when I was carrying mail, we would not leave anything behind unless it was possibly um, third class or, you know, junk mail, essentially. I hate to use that word, but that would be the only thing we could leave behind. We never cut first class mail. It was always, and we would wait. And the clerks, if it took them till noon to sort the, the letters to us, the magazines, the parcels, we would have to wait to leave until noon. It sounds to me he's intentionally delaying mail. And our dispatches come from the main post office in Louisville to the, the outer lying post offices. So when you say trucks, are you talking about carriers or are you talking about the big semi truck that comes from the main post office out to the dispatch is what we call it, out to the uh, other post offices? Yeah, that's a good question. And I, at the time I heard this, I didn't raise that question about which one it is. Well, it used to be that, uh, especially if you had a business route, my first um, regular route was a business route, heavy volume. And even though I was a rural carrier, I was delivering out uh, around Lynn Station Road, lots of office buildings. And you wanted to be there the same time every day because they depend on that they they work their whole day and and what i hear now my partner has a law firm a law office and some days they never they don't get mail at all and it's a business and i just don't understand that that used to be part of our goal was try to be there at the same time every day, whether it's residential or business. Business usually gets the priority to be delivered in the morning, you know, so they can do their business and, and collect if they have checks coming in or, and this was actually, uh, I think since maybe before DeJoy, but also since DeJoy, I don't understand why you would make it more difficult collection boxes they've taken those away they've taken yeah. away sorting machines 
I don't understand that. You know, it, it seems like they're purposely trying to delay the mail and question the integrity and the timely delivery, discrediting the Postal Service. We started with the Pony Express, you know, and it was, you know, as fast as you can get it and secure. And it's in our Constitution because the Founding Fathers felt it was absolutely critical to the connectivity of the United States. You know, already we have UPS who's taken uh, a great deal of the, the parcel volume, Amazon delivery people, they're gonna bring in drones to deliver packages. Privatization, they would take the cream of the crop, the, the biggest revenue, they're going to skim that off the surface and the highest revenue, and it's already really being done with parcel delivery. And that can't be with the U.S. Postal Service because we all should be equally recipients of mail, all of us, just like we are of water, fire protection. It's not anything that really is conducive to the profit motive. My dad would tell a story about um, years ago, back in the 40s, there was so much mail volume at Christmas, for instance, they used to bring in the National Guard and they would have these giant sacks of parcels and they used flatbed trucks and the National Guard would bring the extra parcels out to him on his route. So, you know, at one time, the volume was, was so much that they'd have the National Guard assist. Yeah, so. and now they're just removing funding, removing support and auxiliary services. So yeah. uh, we'll see what happens. I'm encouraging all my listeners to apply for an absentee ballot as soon as they can right now, if possible, mm -hmm. because the earlier, the better in this election. Absolutely. So I feel like if uh, Mr. DeJoy had been checked out more thoroughly, they might have found a conflict of interest because he has an affiliation with a business that is in direct competition with the Postal Service. I think that would have been a conflict had he been vetted properly. Mm -hmm. or at least under any other administration. Well, I thank you, Karen Toole, for coming on at such short notice. <laughs> it's my pleasure. Good luck. Yeah. Thank you so much, Karen. And come on anytime. This You're is welcome. a community. We're a community radio station, and we try to give the mic over to residents in our community so that mm -hmm. they, they feel that they're engaged and a part of the conversation. So I really appreciate you coming on. And the more people know, the better for our station and for our community, I think. Thank you Thanks. for that opportunity. That was Anna Johnson and Karen Tuell, both retired postal workers. And you are listening to Election Connection on WFMP 106.5 FM by and for the people of this community. You, too, can participate or donate by going to our website, www.forwardradio.org. I'm your host, Ruth Newman, and today we are focusing on the U.S. Postal Service. After we returned from the Gardner Lane Post Office demonstration, Victoria, my co-host, and I met at her house outside in an open garage sheltered from a sudden downpour 
so that we could talk about the latest affront to our democracy. Right now, we're just going to kind of discuss the whole situation. So, uh, Tori, <laughs> what have you got to say? Oh, you know me. I'm always kind of a blabbermouth or a loudmouth. I wanted to say that this effort, which I think the gist of it basically, it's an effort to defund the post office to make it very difficult for the post office to operate uh, well so that it can then be privatized. It's similar to the effort to privatize our public schools that's been going on now for a number of years. I believe it was back during the Bush administration, maybe 2006 exactly. or thereabouts, that a law was passed through Congress that required the U.S. Postal Service to pre-fund its retirement benefits for its workers. And this is a humongous financial burden for the post office. It's, um, and it was 75 years into the future. Yes, yes, they have to fund it for 75 years into the future. Now think about that. What other entity that's associated with the government has to do that? Certainly not the U.S. military and other institutions. So it was a deliberate effort, I believe, to literally undermine the financial ability of the post office to, to keep operating as well as it could. And it's probably been going on before that, at least the idea of privatizing it. But that's one key element. Yeah, and, and what I also have found out is that the Republicans have been working to privatize or outright eliminate the EPA, which is the Environmental Protection Agency, the Department of Education, the Department of Commerce, and the Department of Energy. They want any government agency that performs a service to be cut out or privatized, such as the National Weather Service. And yet, this is all taxpayer money that would be funneled into private corporations, and that is a, a recipe for corruption. Absolutely. Just like the private prisons have all their lobbyists now who fund political campaigns, and there's a history of corruption with the privatizing of prisons, which is why early on... That is, in the early history of the Kentucky prison system, back in the late 1800s, they eliminated the privatization because it became so corrupt and such a revolving door between lobbyists and, and politicians. But now we have them reinstated again for Trump to do this now at this juncture in our history. And, and you might want to say something about that. Well, the um, selection of this new Postmaster General, Louis DeJoy, who is a Trump mega donor and who also has earned millions from a company he owns stock in that has ties to the Postal Service. So he could benefit if the Postal Service is undermined and his this logistics company that he owns something like 25 to 50 million dollars worth of stock in, it's not an insignificant amount, you know, if they become more important because the Postal Service is being deliberately kneecapped, whatever you want to call it, sabotaged. <laughs> and by some stroke of magic, he apparently is able to keep between 
30 and 75 million dollars in his own holdings in XPO Logistics. Um, but he was selected, I believe he took office in June. Okay, we're now in August. So just a few months before the most crucial election, in my view, in American history, or at least in modern American history, here is this new head of the post office who, according to news reports, meets privately, as I understand it, with President Trump before all of a sudden these new policies are instituted, cutting overtime, keeping to some kind of strict departure and arrival schedule, which means if there's a bin of mail that you need to put on your truck and get it delivered, you're not allowed to take it because you have to depart at X time. And so it sits in the post office maybe for another day or in some cases, according to reports, multiple days. I mean, so it's cutting overtime, removing mailboxes, by the hundreds, apparently, then get this, they're taking hundreds of these very expensive, probably millions of dollars uh, per piece of this per mail sorting machine, which the taxpayers paid for, they're taking those out of the postal offices and literally dismantling them. So it's it's quite amazing. I mean, it seems pretty obvious that what's going on is a deliberate attempt to slow down the mail and make it more difficult to handle the huge volume of ballots that are going to be cast by mail because of the coronavirus pandemic. It's a way to help Trump win the election. Yeah, and, and on top of that, while I was at the demonstration today interviewing people, I talked to one Postal Service worker who told me that even in the, the post office that we were in front of today, which is the main post office at Gardner Lane, they have removed and destroyed four of those machines in their one building. And he also said that every postal worker in the country got an email this week telling them that they cannot be interviewed, they cannot make any comment to any media, or they will be fired. That, to me, is just simply outrageous and undemocratic. Oh, and another thing that they're trying to do is they wanted to institute in some states a price increase just on postage for ballots. That, too. I mean, it's, it's just so obvious. Well, I'll tell you something else that's just pretty obvious and just so dismaying and it's just so anti-American. I mean, aren't we supposed to be the country that wants everyone to vote? Aren't we supposed to be a democracy where you want every citizen who's eligible to vote to be able to cast their ballot? I mean, that's what this country is supposed to be all about. And in Pennsylvania, because of this surge of mail-in votes uh, during the primaries this spring when everybody was locked down during the due to the pandemic. Pennsylvania has ballot drop boxes which are specifically for ballots. They're not like regular mailboxes, although they're very secure. I've heard uh, this discussed on the news. They're bolted to the ground. They can't be tampered with. You know, you can't reach in and grab the ballots out the way they're designed. It's impossible. 
And as I understand it, they also have security cameras on these ballot drop boxes that run 24-7, you know, during the voting period. So you, if you tried to tamper with one or tried to remove it, you would be caught on video camera. So the fact that Donald Trump keeps talking about how anyone can just grab the ballots or foreign powers can grab the ballots or their kids ripping them out of mailboxes. I mean, he says the most unhinged things with it that are absolutely false. But anyway, his administration has now gone to court to prevent Pennsylvania from adding more ballot drop boxes because they want to add more. They know that the surge of voting in this election will be even far greater than it was during the primaries, and they want to make it more convenient for people to vote and safe and secure for people to vote. And hypocrisy of all hypocrisies, CNN reports that the Trump administration has sent out official absentee ballot application forms to Republican voters in North Carolina and encourage them to fill them out and vote absentee ballot, even after claiming that it's not secure. So what hypocrisy. Anyway, let me get on to something. I'll try to be concise because I know I tend to ramble, but I think this is really important, and I didn't hear a lot of news coverage of it, although I found a really excellent couple of articles in the New York Times about it. This past Thursday of this week, that being August 20th, a former member of the USPS Board of Governors testified before the House and detailed what he reported were efforts by the Trump administration to undermine the USPS. Now, this is not some fly-by-night person. His name is David C. Williams, and he has spent four decades in Washington, D.C., providing government oversight to federal agencies. He's a former Army military intelligence officer. He got the Bronze Star in Vietnam. He began his civilian career as a special agent with the U.S. Secret Service. He's worked for Republican and Democratic presidents. He's been the inspector general for five different federal agencies, including the Treasury Department. And he was the inspector general for the U.S. Postal Service for 13 years until 2016. And he is a member of the Board of Governors. He abruptly resigned in April after the, I believe this was when Louis DeJoy was selected as the new Postmaster General. And what he told the House uh, lawmakers was uh, a pretty scathing indictment of the new Postal Service leader. He said that he did not believe Mr. DeJoy was qualified to serve and that no serious background investigation had been conducted into Mr. DeJoy, even though he, Mr. Williams, had requested one, and that a brief review by the uh, Postal Service's Inspector General, current Inspector General, had raised some uh, questions about contract work that Mr. DeJoy's logistics firm had done for the Postal Service, and that firm is, it represents millions of dollars. That firm is XPO Logistics. It's a shipping company and a competitor of the U.S. Postal Service. So anyway, you know, I didn't hear much about that, but this gentleman is very concerned about this effort, which he believes was a coordinated effort to undermine 
the Postal Service. And in fact, something else he said was that Stephen Mnuchin, the Treasury Secretary, was instrumental in this whole process and was he was concerned that Mr. Mnuchin was politicizing the Postal Service. He said that it appears to him the Trump administration wants to turn the USPS into a, quote, political tool, end quote. This is helpful. I think there's here's a little background information I looked up on the United States Postal Service's Board of Governors. It's comparable to like a board of directors, but a private business. It normally consists of up to nine governors, and they're all appointed by the president of the U.S., and he has to have the advice and consent of the Senate. These nine governors select the postmaster general. So when you hear the argument that Trump didn't appoint Louis DeJoy, that's correct. The Board of Governors did. But what Mr. Williams, the former inspector general of the Postal Service and former member of the Board of Governors, is saying is that he thought there was a concerted effort to put Mr. DeJoy forward and to get him appointed as postmaster general. And I mean, he's talking about Steven Mnuchin politicizing the process. And he's not saying Mnuchin put this guy forward. In fact, he is a Republican mega donor. And he has what appear to me to be extensive conflicts of interest. DeJoy apparently owns somewhere between 30 and $75 million in holdings in XPO Logistics. Anyway, the um, the Board of Governors is the one who is the entity that actually appoints the uh, Postmaster General, and they can remove him, too. So it just so happens that the chairman of the Board of Directors of the USPS at this time is Robert Duncan. He's a Kentuckian and a close friend of Mitch McConnell, as well as a friend of Rand Paul, and they both recommended him to President Trump. And, you know, this is the gentleman who's serving as the chairman of that board and could have been instrumental in stopping the appointment of an unqualified candidate with extensive conflicts of interest, who now appears to be carrying out, I mean, what just seems obvious to me is a campaign to slow down the mail service and undermine our national election. I'm looking on the computer screen about the Board of Governors and seeing all their pictures, and I want to say they are all old white guys, not one woman, not any person of color. Not anyone who's younger than 50. <laughs> they must. They look to me that they're all older than 50, all of them. Unbelievable. Okay. I just found out a little more about Mr. Mnuchin's alleged involvement in all of this postal service business. This is according to the New York Times, and this is an article from this Friday, August 21st, which is the day after Mr. Williams, uh, the former inspector general of the Postal Service, testified to the House. It appears that he is denying having any role in recruiting, and in his testimony, he accused Mnuchin of politicizing the Postal Service, and he said that because uh, Mr. Mnuchin heads the Treasury Department, which lends money to the Postal Service, Mr. Williams asserted that he believed Mr. Mnuchin was using his lending authority to get guarantees from the Postal Service's Board of Governors that he, meaning Secretary Mnuchin, could approve 
changes in postal pricing, labor agreements that the Postal Service was making with its employees, and service agreements that the Postal Service negotiates with some of its largest customers like Amazon, FedEx, and UPS. So the Board of Governors actually balked at those demands by Mr. Mnuchin, and their general counsel for the Postal Service sent him a letter, sent Mr. Mnuchin a letter saying that the transfer of the Board of Governors' duties and decision-making authority to Mnuchin was illegal. And I think Mnuchin is closely tied to Trump. He's one of the longest-serving cabinet members because so many of them have been fired or left. He's Secretary of the Treasury. So there's a whole lot more to this than meets the eye, it seems to me. Of course, Mnuchin is denying this, but he's denying that he's using his lending position to win these guarantees for himself to approve postal price changes, etc. He just says he's just playing his proper role as the uh, federal government's lender to the Postal Service. But it's hard to believe, isn't it? Because I don't think this Mr. Williams has any reason to lie. And especially after four decades of public service and knowing the Postal Service inside and out and serving as an inspector general, not only for the Postal Service, but for the Treasury Department. It just seems that the ideals that this country supposedly stands for have just taken a dive. I'm just looking at an article. This article entitled White Elephant, it appeared in the September-October 2020 edition of Mother Jones magazine interviewing Stuart Stevens, the chief strategist for Mitt Romney's 2012 presidential bid, who has just written a book, and the book's called It Was All a Lie, How the Republican Party Became Donald Trump. And he says that the Republican Party has been a cartel, and no one asks a cartel, what is your ideological purpose? You don't ask OPEC. What's your ideology? You don't ask a drug gang, what's your program? The Republican Party right now exists for the pursuit of power for no purpose. They've just lost touch with what our country supposedly stands for. And it's probably taken years and it's taken the, pre the presidency of Donald Trump to bring this to light, to make it so, so. obvious. So uh, he goes on and he says he rejected the view that Trump had hijacked the GOP. No, he explained, the triumph of know-nothing Trumpism marked the culmination of an internal conflict that had existed for decades between the party's dark side and its professed ideals. And when he says dark side, he's talking about the internal racism and he says, a lot of us in the party like to believe that the dark side was a recessive gene, but it's a dominant theme. Stevens, seventh generation Mississippian, who was named for Confederate General Jeb Stewart, told me. Me being David Korn, the author of the article White Elephant that appeared in Mother Jones. It's all about race. The Republican Party is a white 
party and there still are more white people than non-white people. But that's going to change. <laughs> and where was that article? Oh my goodness. And he is a former big-time Republican strategist, yes. isn't he? Yes. He ran Mitt Romney's campaign? Yes. Wow. I can't, I can't wait to read his book. Mm -hmm. That sounds fascinating from a real insider's perspective. The book, in case anyone is interested, by Stuart Stevens, chief strategist for Mitt Romney's 2012 presidential bid, is... It was all a lie how the Republican Party became Donald Trump. Yeah, he says, Stevens says that Trump's rise was not a fluke. And this is a quote. This is the complete moral collapse of a governing party of a major superpower. He also says Elizabeth Warren can articulate a coherent theory of government. There's no coherent theory of government for Republicans right now. We say we believe in personal responsibility. You have to take personal responsibility and start with yourself. We created this. It didn't just happen. He says, ideas are not the currency for today's GOP and never truly were. And Trump alone could not be blamed for that. Republicans only exist to elect Republicans, Stevens remarked with sadness. They are down to one idea. How can we win? Now, here are your choices for voting in this coming November's general election. You can, if you want, vote in person on Election Day, although that may be an invitation for chaos. No word as yet on how many polls will be open the day of the election, but each county must have a super center. You can also vote in person before election day from October the 13th to November the 2nd by showing up at your county clerk's office or you can vote early by applying for filling out and returning an absentee ballot with all that's going on to defund, delay, and derail mail-in voting, I implore you to request a mail-in ballot right this minute. And once you have, tell everybody you know to do the same. Tell your family, your friends, neighbors, co-workers, the grocery clerk, anybody you meet. As you may already know, along with all the other eligibility conditions that are listed, you are also eligible to apply for an absentee ballot if you are at all concerned about the COVID-19 health threat. So much is riding on this election, so much is riding on our hamstrung post office. Please get that application in now. If you go to GoVoteKY.com, which is an official site of the Kentucky State Government, it will tell you the deadline to apply for an absentee ballot is October the 9th. But if you go to the first Kentucky website on Google titled Kentucky Election Protection, which is what I did, 
it tells you that you have until October the 27th to request an absentee ballot. So be careful, folks. We are dealing with a minefield of conflicting information out there. Do not just Google a question and go to the first site that you see. A friend of mine did just that, and she was sent through many blind alleys and finally a dead end. Go to an official Kentucky state or county website. For Louisville, you can go to jeffersoncountyclerk.org. There you will see under voter information and absentee voting that the list of eligible reasons for applying for an absentee ballot do not include concern for one's health due to the COVID-19 pandemic, at least not as of today, August the 24th. If you ignore this list and just click on the absentee application link at the bottom, you can nonetheless apply for an absentee ballot. But it's just simpler to go to GoVoteKY.com. Now at that website, if you look hard, you will see some convoluted sentences in parentheses and at an asterisk on the eligibility list that yes, you can apply for an absentee ballot if you are concerned about your health due to this pandemic. You do not have to be infected. You do not have to be on any contact tracing list. All you have to be is concerned. Fill in all the applicable information requested. And on my form near the end, it said, please choose how you will sign this application. I only saw one choice, which was to click on Kentucky driver's license. And I, I guess that's because I have a, a driver's license. I called the Jefferson County Clerk's office and was told that if you do not have a driver's license, you can still complete the application and hit submit. Newsflash, I just now received a response to my chat room query to the Jefferson County Clerk's website. So for those without a driver's license, and here I quote, there is the option to use your mouse for a signature on the portal online, close quote. And by all means, make sure you're registered to vote. You have until October the 5th at 4 p.m. to get yourself registered. So if you've changed your name, changed your address, just turned 18 or will be 18 by the election November 3rd, you must register by going to GoVoteKY.com. There you can check whether you're registered, which I highly recommend we all do this time around. You can register, apply to be a poll worker, and later on you can see a sample ballot for your district and find polling locations. You can play a role in rescuing our disappearing democracy just as Marty McFly did in the 1985 hit movie Back to the Future. This is a time of grassroots empowerment if we all do our part. And any comments are most welcome. Please email me, Ruth Newman, at ruthview7 at gmail.com. That is ruthview7 at gmail.com. And we'll see you next time on Election Connection.